Good evening. There is a land that is fairer than day. This is a beautiful day, but heaven's going to be better. A whole lot better. Even better than these days we've had last few days. The land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. Every time we meet together, we're just that much closer to heaven. So, may the Lord come quickly. Heaven is going to be so wonderful. We're so grateful to be together in this midweek service. And we are remembering several individuals. If you looked at our sick list back there on the back tables, it's just a long list. And it just keeps coming in. I want to particularly remember our brother Harry James. He's been having lots of pain in his back and shoulders. And just a rough time being to the doctor and for some tests lately. And let's remember him and Tim. Tim came home Monday. And our brother... Uh, Keith, our brother Jason Carty, and several on our list, people you hear about every day, that we take them right to the throne of God. And the Lord knows. He knows every need of everybody. Before we get into our study, let's bow together. Holy Father, we recognize you as our God, our Father, and our Savior, as our Creator, our hope. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful evening, and thank you for our, our church family. We do bring these folks up before your throne, O Father, and ask you to bless them, and ask you also, Father, your blessings on our efforts uh, this evening. We pray your blessing on all of our class, classes, meeting. We especially ask your blessing on our little ones. Bless their mamas and daddies and aunts, uncles, and grandparents. And we pray especially, Father, that you would uh, look over our little ones, create in them in, in your ways, Father, according to your wisdom. Please create in them a great desire to serve you and to put you first and, and to set uh, their hopes and hearts uh, toward heaven. We pray your blessing on those of our young people who are separated from us, away at school or jobs or different missions. We pray your blessing on them, Father. And Lord, we pray that as we study together this evening, that you would help us to have open hearts, that you help us to block out those things of the world for a little while. Help us, Father, to grow in your word. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and being merciful to us. Thank you for sending Jesus and for his life and his suffering and death on our behalf, for his glorious resurrection, for his ascension up on high, for his church, O oh Lord, for the hope of being at home uh, with him forever and ever. Lord, we ask that you would bless the country in which we live, and that we would be a greater and greater influence to those around us. Bless our missionaries who work uh, diligently to carry your word. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you know about the Holy Spirit? What do you know about the Holy Spirit? We've been looking at mistakes made out here in the religious world, errors, okay, falsehoods. We've looked at um, how some have just a, um, an opposition, a strong opposition to water baptism in spite of very plain passages. We have looked at um, how that this idea of universalism, everybody, everybody's going to heaven no matter what. We've looked at that. Last week we were blessed to be able to look at the Lord's Supper both last Wednesday night and this past uh, Sunday. Tonight I want to uh, look with you at three errors that are made in reference to approaching the Word of God. Three errors that are made in our approach to the Bible. To the Bible. And this involves the Holy Spirit. And but um, let's just kind of explain where we're going here. Let us remember that uh, when you make one error, oftentimes that throws you into another mistake, and another and another. Because the Bible is meant to be connected together, you see. Paul in Acts 20, 26 and 27 says that he was free from the blood of all men because he had not shunned to declare unto them the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel, all the word, all the will of God is important. And when we, when we leave a part of it, that will often run us into conflict with another part of it. Okay. So, the first two errors we will mention will lead to the third one. Okay. And the first two will be uh, revolving around the Holy Spirit. Now, God is one, but God is three persons. Don't ask us to explain it. We're not, we're not supposed to be able to explain it. Okay. But He is three persons and He's one. When we are baptized for the remission of sins, according to Matthew 28 and 19, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons involved in creation, all three persons are involved in conversion, and all three persons are involved in everything that we know about concerning God. So the first error I want to mention with you this evening, that the Holy Spirit is mysteriously involved in converting someone. Okay. That the Holy Spirit of God is, when we say mysteriously, it, He exercises a power that is beyond what is said in the Bible, mysterious. Uh, beyond uh, what is what we read, apart from what we read, in addition to what we read, that somehow or another it's a popular notion that the Spirit exerts a powerful influence directly on a person as they come to Christ. Okay. That's just as false as false can be. But that's kind of a notion that's out there. Okay. And so let's think about that. Think about what you 
how you might respond to that. My first response is, well, what about the Great Commission? Okay. If, if God is working directly on people, why did Jesus give the Great Commission? Why did he say, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and do what? Preach what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Why send, send us across this globe preaching the gospel if, if the Holy Spirit, if God himself is going to exert a direct influence on all the masses? Okay. Now, historically, back going back a few hundred years, this notion started with the idea that, well, we all come in this world so sinful and so depraved that we need that extra power push from the Holy Spirit. But that's just not what God uh, teaches. Okay. So not only what about the Great Commission, but what about the book of Acts? What about the book of Acts? Can you think of any conversion in the book of Acts that, where the Word of God is not involved? Okay. Now God, God worked very directly on, on Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. Turn, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. And notice that right quick. Acts chapter 9. Verse 3, starting verse 3, Acts 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's Jesus talking to him. That's pretty direct. Okay. Verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now notice verse 6. But rise and enter into the city, and it will be told you what you are to do. Underline that. Underline that. Even here in this extreme case where the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is appearing to Saul of Tarsus, even here in this case, light from heaven and everything, still, this was not going to result in Saul's conversion, his conversion to the Lord. Okay. He, to receive that, he needed to go on into the city, according to verse 6, and it will be told him what he must do. Now, who's going to come and talk to him when he gets to the city? Ananias. Okay. Ananias is going to declare unto him the will of God, the gospel. And in his obedience, Acts 9, verse 17 and 18, Acts 22, verse 16, Saul is instructed to go and be baptized to wash away his sins. Okay. We would not expect, would we, to find a person who is a Christian in any place and in the world, or any place, any time in the world, where the gospel had not been proclaimed. Would you expect that? Would you expect to find a Christian, even in the most remote places on earth, where the gospel has not been? If the gospel has not been proclaimed there, then we're, we would never expect to find a Christian there because it's just God's way. It's his order. So what about the Great Commission and what about the book of Acts? But also, what about the parable of the sower? You remember that well. Luke 8, 11, and 12. 
The seed is the Word of God, and, and when the seed, the Word of God, enters into the heart of a man, what does the devil try to do? Yeah, he goes and he tries to get that seed, the Word of God, out of the heart of that individual, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, mark that in verse 12 of Luke 8. Lest they should believe and be saved. The devil knows God's process. God's process revolves around the receiving of the gospel. Okay. Now, the fact is, God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is involved in conversion. Okay. He is involved. Of course God is involved. Of course the Holy Spirit is involved in converting someone. It's just that He influences through the Scriptures. That's how he works on us. He works on our heart. Brother Gus Nichols used to illustrate it like this. He would, he would say, now, some people say God works on your heart directly, like this. But actually what happens is God works on your heart indirectly through the Word, like this. Okay. And that's the truth of the matter. How do we know? Ephesians 6, verse 17 is a key verse. Ephesians 6, 17, as Paul is uh, outlining the, the armor that we are to put on to defend ourselves. Okay. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, right? Take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God. The, the Spirit. Okay. What is the sword of the what What instrument does the Spirit use to cut into our heart, to impact our lives? Okay, the Word of God. The Word of God. Now this, this is beautifully seen in the, um, in the new birth process. Okay. And so let's quickly run over that again. All right. What did Jesus say about the new birth in John 3? Whoever is born of what? Whoever is born of water and the Spirit becomes part of the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, let's see how that plays out in different books of the Bible. You ready? Okay. Uh, such as Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, 26. What does that say? Somebody read that real loud. Ephesians 5 and 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it through the washing of water by the word. Okay. So notice how we are sanctified and cleansed. All right. By the washing of the water and the word. Okay. Notice how similar that is to John 3, when Jesus talked about the new birth, you're born of water and the spirit. Why does it say word there in Ephesians 5, 26? Because... That's the means by which the Spirit uses uh, to convert us. Right? Notice it in the book of 1 Corinthians. I, I love this little thing here. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Chapter 6. And when you look down to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see verses 9 through 11, just a list of, despicable sins 
but many who have been committing these sins have turned to God. Notice verse 11. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you have been washed, or in other words, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. See that? Now, in my Bible, what I wrote down beside that is chapter 4, verse 15, same book. And you almost, in some of your Bibles, you'll be able to just go across the page and find chapter 4, verse 15. And notice what Paul says there. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father, or, actually better, I have begotten you in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, the literal word there is, I have begotten you. In other words, Paul says, I brought you the gospel, and through your understanding, reading, understanding, you obeyed. That is the new birth process. Okay. So notice how all of this occurred. And then also in 1 Corinthians, notice the statement by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where he says, For by one spirit have you all been baptized into one body. Okay. Put all those together. Chapter 4, 15, chapter 6, 11, and then chapter 12, verse 13. And it's hard, it's hard to miss that. See, see how this, is, um, this plays out in the book of James right quick. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And verse 18, James 1, uh, 18. What does that say? James 1, 18. What does it say? You got it, Terry? Read it loud. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of God. All right, there you go. So, he brought us forth. He begat us, in other words, by the word of truth. Okay. And then notice how this plays out in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, the truth, unto a sincere brotherly love, love one another, uh, with a pure heart fervently, uh, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding Word of God. You see that? So all of these are, are illustrations of the new birth process. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, doesn't work mysteriously, or some, some sort of um, direct way, but God has worked it out uh, through the gospel. Now, second error, second mistake related to this is that uh, in order to, to learn the Bible, you've got to have, uh, again, some sort of mysterious direct working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's very popular, very popular, that, that in order to learn the Bible, in order to really get the gist of the Bible, that God has got to, got to come into your heart and, um, 
give you the push or the influence you need to learn uh, the scriptures. It's simply not true. He's designed the scriptures for us, for anyone, anyone who has open, honest heart uh, to learn of it. Okay. And so let's think about this a minute. Let's think about it logically. Logically. We said in the beginning that God, the Spirit, is God. Is God. What God does, He does in a flawless way, right? Perfectly. Everything God does, He does perfectly. So, if, if the Spirit comes and helps us understand the Bible, and there's thousands of people that claim that, okay, if the Spirit comes and helps people understand the Bible, then, then everybody should be united perfectly, right? There, sh- there should be no disagreements on the Bible. Okay. When you look at one religious group or another religious group or listen to this religious group or that religious group, they all... They all will say, yes, the Holy Spirit helps me understand the Bible. If the Holy Spirit does something, he does it perfectly. Okay. There, there's, there's no flaw in God. Okay. So if he was working on our interpretation of the Bible with us, then we, it would come out in a perfect way, and we would all be perfectly united. But you know that's simply not the case. Now, do you believe that to, in order for us to have the Scriptures now, that the Spirit had a part of it? Did, did the Holy Spirit have a part of us having the Scriptures now? How do we know that? It tells us. Peter tells us that men spoke and they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All right. So Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, that the original writings, speakings and writings of these scriptures came because of the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy ever came or produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So if you believe the Bible, you believe the Holy Spirit was involved in bringing us the scriptures. Okay. Well, let's go back to this, this idea that in order to interpret the scripture, you've got to have the Holy Spirit's help. Well, did not the Holy Spirit do a good job the first time around? Okay. Think about it. Whatever it is that God does, He does it perfectly. Did not the Holy Spirit do just a fine job the first time around? If you don't believe that he made it comprehensible the first time around, how do you know he's going to make it comprehensible if he has to come back and work upon us as we read the scriptures ourselves? The fact is, the Holy Spirit, God himself, he moved these men to both speak and write in a flawless way so that when a good and honest heart picks up these scriptures, then it is understandable. Okay. Let's look at a couple of passages that are used sometimes to say you need the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. Please turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's deal with this for a second. 1 Corinthians 2, 
I'll just jump down to verse 14, but we'll need to read a couple of verses other than 14. But 1 Corinthians 2, 14, notice what Paul says. He says, the natural person, natural man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so... There's one of the supposed proof texts is you've got to have the spirit because the natural man cannot receive it. Okay. Well, let's read, let's read up to verse 14, starting in verse uh, 10. 1 Corinthians 2. These things God has revealed to us. Now, who's writing this letter? Paul. And Paul was an apostle, correct? So that's very important as Paul uses the word us here. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. It's very true that the Holy Spirit guided, as we just read, the apostles, holy men, uh, as they spoke and wrote the words. Okay. So he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person? I love that statement right there. In other words, you have a soul. You have a spirit in you. Okay. Who knows your thoughts better than you? Okay. Your own self, your own true self, your own mind. Okay. So Paul's using that idea to say this, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this. Notice Paul saying that. Aren't you thankful? Paul says we have imparted this. We impart this. How? What's the next word there in verse 13? In words. In words. Paul says, we received these things from the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. But now we impart these things in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What Paul is saying there is, the man who has not been introduced to this knowledge that Paul has imparted, imparted in words to bring about these spiritual truths, the natural man who has not received this knowledge cannot receive the things of God. You see. We on our own cannot arrive at the truth. We, Paul's, Paul's saying we need the words imparted through him and Peter and a few others we need the words. We need the truth. Okay. We do not arrive at the truth on our own intuition. This is a big deal out here in the world. Okay. It seems to be more and more. People feel like that as they go through different experiences, okay, that that's bringing certain spiritual insights into their life. Spiritual, spiritual truth that God is kind of communicating to them. It is not so. It's just not, this is not God's setup. It's not his arrangement at all. We're reading about it right here with Paul. Okay. And it makes complete sense because 
God wanted the gospel to go in an equal way and a fair way to everybody uh, in the world. Okay. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And um, let's look at verse 3 right quick. First Corinthians 12 and verse 3, Paul says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking of the Spirit of God ever says uh, Jesus is accursed. Okay. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay. But... The explanation of that is, is quite simple because we've been reading Paul already. Okay, we already read Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. Okay, he's explaining that the Holy Spirit brought spiritual truths into his mind. He imparted those in words. Okay, without the revelation from God, without the words of truth, okay, now found in Scripture, no one would be able to declare that Jesus is Lord. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is, is Verse 3 is teaching. How could you come to know that Jesus is Lord, that He's the Son of God, without the Scriptures helping us with that, declaring that unto us? That's what Paul is saying there. Okay. And so we want to understand this error that is made. It's just simply not true. The, the Scriptures, all Scripture, Second uh, Timothy 3, right? Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all, every, every good work. Every good work. So it's, it's still the truth. Thoroughly without end. Yeah, without end. It furnishes us thoroughly without end. Okay. <laughs> Good point. Brother Paul is saying that in the parable of the sower, Jesus gives several reasons why people would not receive the word of God. Cares, pleasures, riches, hardness of heart, but never did he say it was because um, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. Good point. Good point. Okay. All right. The third error uh, tonight goes right along with this. If, if you need a direct working of the Spirit in order to understand the Scriptures, then inherent in that, you believe that the Scriptures as they stand are not comprehensible. They're not understandable. Okay. If you believe that you need a direct working of the Spirit, then, then inherent in that, implied in that, is that the Scriptures as they are are not understandable by man as he is. And that lends us to the third error, and that is that it's impossible for everybody to understand the Bible alike. That's our third big error mistake tonight. The impossibility of understanding the Bible alike. Okay. It goes like this. 
you have your interpretation, I have mine, you have, you have your way of reading it, I have mine. There's no point for us to argue or condemn each other. In fact, we, we both may be right. Okay. Now that's how that plays, plays out. Okay. How do we know this? Because we hear it so much. We hear these things so much. This is, this is ingrained in our religious neighbors. Okay. They, they truly believe this and, and we've got to be able to discuss it. Okay. Is it true that we cannot understand the Bible alike? First, stop and think about it. Just think about it. There's no such thing as understanding Scripture differently. All right? Let's get that in our mind. There's no such thing as understanding Scripture differently. Okay. One is going to be wrong. Perhaps both are going to be wrong. Okay. Now, we can misunderstand Scripture differently. There's a lot of ways to misunderstand Scripture. But it's impossible to understand Scripture differently. Okay. There is a correct interpretation. I may not arrive at it. It may take me a while to arrive at it. But there is a right and a wrong way of looking and interpreting, exposing Scripture and putting it into our hearts. Okay. When, uh, let's just take this example. We just went through water there in John 3 with the new birth. Water, water. There's a lot of interpretations of water. I mean, you can Google it yourself. You'd be amazed at what people say. That water is there in John 3. But we just went through, there's only one interpretation of that water. Okay, there is none other. There's none other. Okay. And so that's why we say there's no such thing as understanding scripture differently. You can misunderstand it in a variety of ways, but you can't understand it differently because God has, has revealed it. Okay. If you look at the Greek, you have access to the strong supportage. You, uh, you can look and see for yourself. Yeah. The Greek is like Spanish. It's got a specific word for everything in the Bible. Yeah, the Greek does have a specific word for every word. In the Bible, now there are hard passages in the Scriptures. Okay, baptism is not one of them. Water is not one of them. But we get into the Book of Revelation. There, we may have several different, you know, efforts and interpretations that come and trying to interpret a passage, say, like somewhere in the Book of Revelation, chapter thirteen. But that doesn't mean that there are different interpretations. That just means there's one, and we don't know who's arrived at it. But there are a lot, there's difficult passages in the Bible. These difficult passages do not affect our eternal salvation. There are plenty of plain passages where God gives us direction. And the only reason we misinterpret Scripture is because of our own lack of understanding. Okay. Now, let me ask you this question. Can God, do you believe that God can make himself understood? Do you believe that God can make himself understood. We think we can. We, we operate on a daily basis assuming that we can communicate and we can understand what others are communicating and we can even make plans on that and that's what we do. We, we create recipes and we pass them on. 
you know, we, we create meeting times and we meet together. There's ball game times and we know when to arrive or when to turn on uh, the TV. The doctor, you know, he communicates to us and then he communicates to the pharmacist and the pharmacist receives his communication and then all of a sudden we have a bottle and we assume and they assume that we're going to be able to read the, the instructions on the side of that bottle. Every day throughout the day in a routine way, we are assuming communication and understanding okay, among ourselves. Now, what about God? Can God, can God communicate? Can he make himself understood? Now, think about that. If we say he can't, that reflects on his power. If we say that he can, but just purposely did not, how does that reflect on you? If God can, but didn't do it for some reason, then that means he's not completely loving toward us. But it's, that's not the truth. The truth is he has ample ability and ample benevolence toward us in that he did make himself known. And aren't we thankful that he did? God, if we feel like we can make ourselves known to each other, make our plans known and communicate details throughout every day of our lives, isn't God much, much wiser? Isn't he much, much more powerful than us? And so isn't it very safe to assume that he can and has made himself known? And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, 3 and 4, Paul says, when you read, you can perceive my understanding. That's what he says. You can understand my understanding. These truths that the Spirit has imparted to me, Paul says, when I write them down, you'll be able to understand them. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 17, be not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, in Contesting with Satan, Jesus said, and you can finish this, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Doesn't Jesus plainly say there that our spiritual life depends on every word that comes out of the mouth of God? Is God going to tease us? Is he going to say, I can provide you with spiritual life, but then not make it understandable? Is he going to say spiritual life comes through every word that comes out of the mouth of God and not give it to us in an understandable way? In Matthew chapter 22, 29, Jesus is talking to Sadducees about the resurrection of the body. You know, they proposed this outrageous idea about a woman having uh, husbands that die and then each of them die. Now, which of those are going to be your husbands in the resurrection? They're trying to make fun of Jesus talking about the resurrection, the final resurrection day. Jesus says to them, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you have been good students of the Old Testament, 
then you would be able to plainly see, like passages like Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3, that, that it is plain that God is going to raise the dead one day. So God has made himself known. He's he made it clear. John 20, 30, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which is not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Can we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Can we do this together? Can we have confidence in it? And so many uh, such passages and verses uh, as this. Very dangerous in our day for someone to say that um, they are teaching scripture and that the Holy Spirit has uh, directly operated on their heart and so therefore you can trust them. All right. That would be a good sign not to trust them. But it's dangerous today. It's always been dangerous, but particularly in our day because uh, of the internet, of, of, the, of the Wi-Fi, the streaming, and, and the videos, and people are accessing this stuff. They're, and you have a fellow or a woman get on there and, and claim uh, that God has spoken to them, and therefore here is a good interpretation, and that's all over the place. And we have got to be diligent when we have the opportunity to tell them the plain uh, truth about uh, the matter. And it's, it's a real shame the devil is using uh, a lot of this technology um, against us, against the truth. But we must be just as diligent uh, with the truth. Okay. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And just as 2 Timothy 3 and Mike talking about how completely furnished the word of God, uh, how the word of God operates on us and and completely furnishes us to every good work. Uh, even so, uh, the, the power of God is in uh, the gospel. Okay. And so these are the errors I wanted us to, to see, and, and I wanted us to see these because they're so prominent uh, when you speak with people about, about the truth. And even some of this has, you, some of this language is heard even among brethren okay. because our own brothers and sisters listen to things out in the world and before long we begin to think like, like the world. We've got to come back to Scripture and then let Scripture be our, our guide. Every word of it. Every word of it. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, being in class. I hope this has been helpful. And... Um, it pertains to salvation, but it pertains to our approach to Scripture mainly. Okay. Uh, can we understand Scripture? Did God make it that way? And is He able to do it? And we believe that He's not only able, but He has done it, and that comes out of His love uh, for us. Like the eunuch, sometimes we just need a little help. Yeah. yeah, that's a good thought the eunuch was reading the scripture he's in the right place but he needed someone to guide him